Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to another action-packed, body-slamming episode of 80s Wrestling Radio Live here. Uh, it's Tommy Fierro joined by my main man, Jumpin' Jay. Jay, what's going on, man? How was your week? Tommy, it was a fantastic week here in uh, Minnesota. The sun is starting to shine. All the snow has finally melted away. Spring is in the air. It's a great time, my man. How are you doing? Well, I hope so. It's almost June. I hope the snow is gone by now. Listen, we had flurries yesterday. I didn't want to bring it up, but we had some flurries did, yesterday. Did really? The sun was out today. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Hey, man, uh, big, big, big show tonight here on 80s Wrestling Radio. I've been looking forward to this all week long. I know you have as well. I've been talking about it throughout the week. Over the last month and a half or so, I know you've been watching as well, Jay, on uh, on Viceland. They've been having a unbelievable documentary series called Dark Side of the Ring. Um it's pretty much it was exploring the darkest stories from the golden age of professional wrestling and trying to find the truth uh, from the intersection of fantasy and reality. They had six great episodes. I'm kind of like feeding for more, man. Six wasn't enough for me. They had the uh, the match made in heaven. Obviously, that was the Macho Man, Randy Savage, and Miss Elizabeth, the Montreal Screwjob, the killing of Bruiser Brody, the last of the Von Erichs. The mysterious death of Gino Hernandez, and last week's was the finale, the fabulous Moolah. Man, what a series that was, huh? That's all season one. That's all season one. All those shows riveting. These shows are a mix of interviews with wrestling personalities. They do some reenactments, uh, and it's just vivid storytelling. If you're a fan of professional wrestling, this docu-series is a must, 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 must watch if you're not a fan of wrestling, but you're like interesting storytelling, you would be all in on these shows as well. They're unbelievable, Tommy. Absolutely. And uh, big, big guests this week, Jay. Let's get right into them. Well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, live on 80s Wrestling Radio, we have the co-creators, the producer, and the director of this show, Mr. Evan Husney and his friend, Jason Eisner. Gentlemen, thank you so much for staying up late and joining us. Welcome to 80s Wrestling Radio. Oh, what's going on, guys? Thanks for having us. Yeah. And you're from Minnesota. You didn't tell me that. That's amazing. I am from Minnesota. You're from Minneapolis, I believe. I am. Me, me, yep, and Evan, Evan. me and Evan. Me and Me and Evan are the cool guys. We're in New York and New Jersey. No, no, Evan's <laughs> from Minneapolis. <laughs> no, I, I live in New York, but I'm from Minneapolis. Like, I, we're, oh, we're both in, friends. We're all friends. That's right. <laughs> we're, we're all friends. <laughs> we're Minnesotans, hey guys, don't you know? Yeah, Thank you so we much sure for, are, aren't we? 
Thank you so much for taking the time to, to come on the show tonight. And uh, anyone out there listening that wants to call in and talk with Jason and Evan about their unbelievable series they just got done producing, the call-in number here is 323-927-2953. Again, that number, once again, if you want to grab a pen and paper real quick, is area code 323-927-2953. We're talking about Dark Side of the Ring and the unbelievable six. Uh, series that they just did. I guess the first question I have for you guys, let's get right into it, is you have to be lifelong wrestling fans growing up because I, I, I checked both of you guys out. You guys both are not, you know, you're pretty much younger guys like we are. And for you guys to do stories on Gino Hernandez and Bruiser Brody and the Von Erics, I mean, you guys have to be diehard wrestling fans to, 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 to be looking into doing stories these guys because the average fan today. Uh, they have no idea who these guys are. Yeah, um, exactly. Uh, this is Evan, by the way. Uh, but yeah, we, Jason and I both grew up as wrestling fans. You know, uh, he's a little bit older than I am. But I'm like 32. And so uh, we were fans, got late 80s, early 90s, and um, all the way through to the Attitude Era when we, when we were growing up. And then as soon as we kind of got into making films and doing other projects. Uh, we started to kind of get back into wrestling. And through that, we went back and, and looked at all the different areas of wrestling that, you know, we missed when we were kids, which was like the territory era, you know, Japan and other places like that. And, and that's when we really dove in and, and, and found that like, wow, a lot of the more, the, like the more insane, amazing, wild stories outside the ring were from that era. And so that seemed like a great idea to have a TV show based around, uh, those stories. Absolutely. What, what was your background, uh, Jason, for you guys to uh, to produce the series? First of all, I guess the two part question: What were you guys doing previous to uh, the creation of Dark Side of the Ring? Obviously, I believe you probably were in the, the TV film industry. And two, how did this whole project come about um, that you got involved with doing this with professional wrestling? Yeah. Um... The, the both of us, Evan and I, we, you know, we both have been working in the like the film industry for probably like over a decade now. Um, and Evan and I had first met each other at a film festival called Sundance. Um, my God, I guess it was probably over ten years ago. Yeah. Um, I had a I had a short film playing there called Trevenge. Evan was working for this legendary distribution company called Troma. Legendary and, is one way to, to put it. Yeah. <laughs> to me, it's legendary. Okay, all right. And, uh, <laughs> and um, we instantly hit it off over our love of uh, wrestling. And, um, like, throughout the years, I guess, you know, we, we'd always been toying around with the idea of wanting, you know, to do something within the – like, do a TV show or a narrative TV show or a movie – within the world of wrestling and we spent, I don't know, we probably like, I don't know, maybe it was like six or seven years ago. Like we really started to like, go well, I know what it was like researching. I know what, what was it was. It? What was the, I think the like, I think the like the thing that really drove us into wanting to do something like to, to make a movie or documentary or whatever was just like going down the YouTube hole of shoot videos. I mean, it had to have been, yeah. I'm just like, yeah. You know, you watch these shoot videos with with wrestlers, and they're telling these incredible stories that are just mind blowing, like you can't inconceivable. But yet, like, 
the, the kind of ironic part is that all these two interviews are, are like filmed so poorly, you know, they're all like <laughs> on like a, which I love, you know, they're on this like a handy cam shot in like a Radisson hotel room, you know, and, and, and you have to kind of get by the low, the low budgetness of it. But once you do, those stories are so vivid and just incredible. And, and, and so it was kind of like, what if you were to take these shoot interviews and just sort of build a more prestige, glossy documentary series around that, like, you know, shoot it really nice and then try and transport people back to when these stories or these events took place. And that was kind of the genesis of trying to make a show like that. Just take shoot interviews and yeah. make it more cinematic. Yeah, I also remember, too, when we first started reading the stories about wrestlers, like, getting stabbed at wrestling yeah. events or, like, people yeah. pulling guns out at wrestling events and taking yeah. shots at the ring. Like, I remember thinking, like, when we we're digging up those stories like you know we yeah. had this one idea of what we grew up with which were like these you know 80s icons they were like superheroes almost to like a comic book form but you know underneath it all and the history of it like you know there was a time period where wrestling people were so like believed in it so much that they would pull out guns and fire at the ring like and <laughs> yeah. i just like love that i just remember thinking like we have to like we gotta spend all our time researching this. If we don't make any films or T V, maybe we should just be wrestling historians. Yeah, totally. Collect just all know these about stories. It. Know yeah, about it know about and it. then and, and, and also it's kinda hard to describe or to articulate, but like I'll try. But like all these stories seem to have kind of a wrestle poetry, you know, like everything like 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 every story is like so cosmically tragic. Or like has some sort of just in, 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 crazy coincidence, or or like some some um, blurred lines of reality and fiction, or just something so singular to wrestling that just couldn't happen in any other sport or like performance entertainment or anything. Like it's just there's these stories are just so epic and into themselves, you know. That's fantastic. Let me let me ask you this, you guys, this question: You're wrestling fans. You're down the, the never-ending hole of shoot videos on YouTube. You have this idea. Walk us through yeah. how do you put together a pitch, and how do you sell oh, that yeah. idea to someone who may not be a wrestling fan? How do you pitch that idea and get a TV show out of it? Well, oh, yeah, it's tough. <laughs> well, it's very tough because there is a big stigma towards wrestling in the entertainment industry for sure. I mean, we've we've – We've seen it for so many years now. And actually one of the main reasons we wanted to make the show was to kind of prove a lot of people wrong, you know? Um, but when we went into, or I, I remember first pitching the series and, you know, so, some of the people in the room had some, you know, like Hulk Hogan, you know, knowledge of Hulk Hogan, Ric Flair or something like that, but not to the extent of the stories that, you know, we were going to cover for this series. And so um, at first it was like, uh, I think the like we had to find the right story, like the story that would cross over, like what's the story that would really captivate or compel like an audience that just isn't a hardcore wrestling fan. And that really for us was like the, when we stumbled across the Bruiser Brody story. And again, Bruiser Brody is not, um, you know, somebody we were familiar with growing up. We were too young and he was kind of the era before ours. Uh, but, you know, going down that internet, YouTube shoot interview thing, you know, that, that story pops up, you know, a lot. And so you, you start to hear like this crazy story about how this guy got murdered, you know, or, or got killed in a locker room by another wrestler. 
And, you know, if that were to have happened nowadays, like <laughs> it would be, it would be front page news everywhere. If like, you know, I don't know, like the WWE, yeah. you know, went to a different, you know, went, <laughs> went to another country, even though Puerto Rico is not in their country really, but like traveled abroad. And then, like, one wrestler, like, you know, the Miz, like, stabbed another wrestler. Like, it would be talked about, like, everywhere, you know? Uh, I don't know why I thought of the Miz, but I did. The, um, the, Miz's, and so, uh, the Miz's Twitter feeds would be blowing up tonight now that he's so <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it would just be talked about everywhere. So it was so crazy that the, that the Brody story was something that was so underreported. And I think that had a lot to do with how protected wrestling was for, for so many years. And, um, and so, yeah, so, uh, that was kind of the like first story that we got really obsessed with and, and thought that this could be the basis for a pilot episode of it, like of whatever this documentary series is going to be. Um, yeah. Absolutely. And so much of like the, like the blurred, like Brody's story in which like the lines are so blurred between like reality and fiction. And he like did such an incredible job of protecting like the business and protecting his his character and like um that's like kind of like an overall like thesis of the show is like mm. how like these characters had to live like like during a time period when these characters had to live their their character into their everyday like public life like my favorite like probably one of my favorite moments from the whole series and it was just like the moment that i don't know i just like would always like think about it, it always like inspired me is when bruiser brody's wife Barbara told us a story about how she was like, she's like, I never met Bruiser Brody. Like I only knew Frank Goodish. Like she just knew the man. She never met the character and she didn't really go to the matches. And so when Bruiser Brody came home, he was Frank. He was a good husband and father. And then it wasn't until she like dropped him off at the airport and then he would like kiss her goodbye. And then she would watch him like walk into the airport and pull at his ponytail and then, like, transform into the character because he was walking out into public. And that just always stuck with us. Like, that, totally. like that is it. That's what makes this art form the coolest, <laughs> most interesting art form on the planet. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and that, that was the first shot we ever thought about reenacting, actually. was <laughs> I think it was actually that story. You know, uh, I, maybe I'm misremembering, but I, I think it was literally like hearing Barbara tell that story on like a YouTube shoot interview <laughs> and talking about that exact thing. It was like we could just visualize that as like a reenactment or like having someone, you know, because there's no other footage of that. But that was kind of sure. how we landed on the idea of doing reenactments. Um, where, where, did, kind of that. where did where did you guys find the. Uh, people that portrayed these characters on, on all these episodes was it was it was it local independent wrestlers was it uh, people in the yeah pretty much the entertainment world how'd you go about casting I mean, those, those those people yeah yeah um, so we shot all the reenactments for this series uh, in in uh, Toronto actually that's where the production was based out of Toronto um, and. Uh, we, we we got lucky <laughs> a lot of the times. Um, you know, it was it was kind of one of the more daunting pieces of the puzzle was just like how can we find people that will live up to these icons? You know, it was was it's, it's probably why it's never been attempted before. <laughs> but um, 
Yeah, we just got really lucky with like a really amazing network of local, um, like local talent, local local like indie wrestlers from Toronto and Detroit and New York, the kind of surrounding area, and we were able to kind of have them come in. And there's also a independent wrestling company that was just a couple doors down from our office, and that company is called Super Kicked, and they run a, an incredible show. They got a hell of a roster. And we pushed that roster probably as far as you could <laughs> with in terms of yeah. the the casting that we did. But we also on, on rare occasion brought people in, like the guy who played Randy Savage, uh, is actually a Randy Savage a cosplayer that we Brandon actually, Savage. Huh, Brandon Savage. Uh that we actually bumped into at WrestleMania uh last year. We just ran into him like in the hallway at yeah. at the stadium. And we're like, holy wow. shit, because before that, because like before that, it was like, how the hell are we going to find someone to play Randy? It was actually something we had put off, you know, and, and as soon as we saw this guy, who's kind of eerily very similar and his, <laughs> yeah. and, and his girlfriend, you know, made all the made all the made all the costumes like like replica costumes it was like perfect. And so that, and then, um, you know, we had uh, uh, Josephus Brody from the NWA. He wrestles for the NWA now with Billy Corgan's company. He came in and, and, and played Brody. And then, you know, it was just kind of, and then I think we had uh, Drew Onyx from Montreal who came in and played Abdul the Butcher. Yeah. Also does kind of like an Abdul gimmick on the side. So it, it was just like lucky and the internet and stuff. Yeah, we got very lucky. <laughs> well, yeah. I'll tell you what, it was it was beyond lucky because when I was watching this, man, I had to do a double take at some of these guys. I'm like, like uh, especially <laughs> like Savage and Hogan and Elizabeth. Like, I'm like, damn, let me clean my glasses off because I like I, I thought I was seeing things at first. <laughs> I mean, these guys did an amazing, amazing job uh, casting uh, these guys. And something Thank I was uh, curious about. Uh, I want to get back real quickly to talking about uh, the episode with the killing of, of Bruiser Brody. Um, sure. What was what was his uh, wife's initial reaction when uh, you guys first contacted her in regards to doing this episode? Um, I think I have to go back a little bit because we did the Brody episode as the pilot first, as as I mentioned. That was the thing we kind of did as the proof of concept for the full series, and then. Uh, like about eight months later is when we went into full gear and did the rest of the series. But um, it was kind of just like at first, like reaching out. And uh, as you see with the other episodes in the series, there's lots of family members of wrestlers throughout all the episodes. And for us, it's just kind of like a, a process of gaining trust and, you know, being a genuine, sincere guy and, you know, reaching out to them and just saying, like, you know, we want to talk to you about something very difficult. We're doing a story about something very difficult. But, you know, your perspective and your experience through this is, like, the most key part of it, you know. And, and we are wrestling fans, but, you know, we are telling this story to kind of, you know, sh- you know, share your story, really, more than anything. And so for us, it was just like, um, you know, I, I think there was a little apprehension at first. Um, and especially when it came to Jeff Goodish, who was uh, Barbara's son and, and also Brody's son, who has never done an interview before at all, who's never, you know, hasn't done any sort of interview. And so that it was just kind question. of like, <clears throat> yeah, it was just like, you know, we like, I think I wrote him a thoughtful letter of just sort of saying like where we're coming from and what we want to do and um, that we have their best interests in mind and, you know, we want to tell their story and yeah. And just kind of over the course of several weeks, I think it was several weeks and months and phone calls 
it was just finally where we were able to, you know, build some trust. And then we actually flew Barbara out because she lives in Florida and Jeff lives in Texas. And we flew the Barbara out to kind of be with her son. And that was very nice. And it was kind of just a whole, you know, day of being with family. And it was a very emotional day, but also, um, I think we all felt really good about it after after the fact. Yeah, it didn't make it into the episode, but we like we actually drove to their old house. Oh uh, yeah. Isn't it ah. El Paso? No, <clears throat> no, no, no. Or it wasn't San in El Paso. It's like outside San of San Antonio. Yeah. Yeah. Deep it's suburbs. Nowhere. Like in yeah. the sticks. Yeah. Like Super it's... deep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, do you remember and that? That was a real trip. I know. I was just gonna say, like, we she actually drove us to to their old old house where they lived. But the craziest part is um, we couldn't really bring in cameras to this because it was, like, just super impromptu. But Barbara, like, yeah. knocked on the door of, like, their next-door neighbors um, who have been who, who lived there when Brody lived there, you know. And we walk into this, like, stranger's house, and we're just sitting around the kitchen table or, like, 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 the kitchen dining room area, and we're all just telling stories about Frank and, you know, what Frank was like around the neighborhood and around the house. And it was just – it was trippy, you know. Because we're huge, huge Brody Marks, like, you know, huge. Yeah. Nice, nice. Well, gentlemen, we were just talking about the Match Made in Heaven episode, and Tommy asked a question about where do you find the people that do the reenactments? Well, once you know it, live on line number one is Mr. Brandon Savage, the gentleman that portrayed (laughs) Macho Man. Brandon, welcome to 80s Wrestling Radio. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Thanks for having (laughs) me. Whoa. Hey How's Brandon, going, what's Brandon? going on, man? Hey guys. Hey Brandon, doing, first man? off, let me let me say that you did a really, really, really great job. I was just actually talking about you uh, right before you called in. Um, so welcome to the show, and I, I, you know, it's 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 good that you came on. Because I have a question for you. Um, yeah. What's it like for you to get a call from these guys uh, to, to to play Macho Man Randy Savage for a hit? A documentary series on, on Viceland. That must have been pretty cool. Talk about that experience the first getting the call from those guys. Dude, it was just crazy. Uh, I'm just a normal guy. <laughs> I'm just a normal guy living in Tennessee. And, uh, you know, just so happened to find out through uh, my daughter, she had, she wanted the whole family to dress up for Halloween. I chose uh, Macho Man years ago. And once I got the costume on, we're like, wow, maybe you do look like Randy. So that's how it all started. And uh, we made a decision to go to WrestleMania last year. And I'm walking around the Superdome, and Jason sees me, gets some video of me. And <laughs> like two weeks later, I, I get a, a, this official email from Vice. It's Evan. <laughs> asking if I wanted to participate in this. I'm like, of course I do. And uh, it's just unreal. And I love these guys. They're awesome dudes. And I uh, appreciate everything, you know, the, the opportunity they gave me. And it's, uh, it's an awesome experience. Now, now, Jason, you said, Jason, you said that you were, you, you know, you saw Brandon, at WrestleMania last yeah. year, dressed up as the Macho Man. What was your initial take uh, to Evan after after you guys, you know, finished meeting with him? We right. like shit. We got we got our guy right there. Yeah, well, like Evan was like holding like our seats like in the arena, and like I saw Brandon 
like some fans walking up to him and getting their photos taken and I was like I was so taken back I was like oh my god that is literally like the ghost of Randy like walking these halls like <laughs> so I just like instantly ran up and I, I put a, my phone in some woman's hand and turned on the slow motion and I was like this can you get a shot of us together and she got a shot of us together and I quickly introduced myself took off I went and showed Evan I went to where Evan was sitting and I showed him the clip and uh Evan was like blown away by it he was like oh my god and uh, but I was like was, book him I was book yeah. him book him right now <laughs> right away yep awesome yeah, yeah. so we were like we were dreaming of the idea of hiring him when we were on our way back to Toronto like from that Wrestlemania in New Orleans and uh and yeah, we were so lucky we were able to make it happen. And Brandon and his girlfriend were so amazing right. to like come to Toronto and spend a few days with us, hanging out and filming Randy Savage scene. Which was like <laughs> a dream. <laughs> That's awesome. Hey, Brandon, uh, we we got a couple more callers on hold, but I want to ask you one more question first before we we let you go. You you grew up, I'm sure, obviously a, a huge wrestling fan. If you're you're you know dressing up as Randy Macho Man Savage, now I, I want to ask you, how, how cool is it when you were a kid? If I was how old you, by the way, Brandon? Yeah. How old? Oh, I'm 41. Okay, so Brandon, if I if I if, if I told you 30 years ago, and 30 years from now, you're going <laughs> to be playing Randy Savage. Uh, for a, a TV documentary series, uh, what, what would your initial reaction have been? You're crazy, right? No way in the uh, world you would have believed that. No, I've asked my son, I mean, I've asked my wife here. I'm like Kelly, like, would you ever believe that I'd be doing this at 40 years old and <laughs> portraying Macho Man in a major TV series? Like, there's just no way. It's just insane. This whole experience has been awesome. <laughs> now, Brandon, when that episode was over, when the when the Match Made in Heaven episode was over, the TV went off. Did you turn to your wife and say, "Oh yeah"? <laughs> <laughs> well, of course I did. Well, that's good. That was pretty good. <laughs> hey, Brandon, thank uh, you so much for uh, for calling in, man. That was a great, great job, and I, uh, we yeah. hope to see some more stuff with you in the future. Absolutely, Thanks, Brandon. Thank you, yeah, Jay, Brandon. It's so good to hear from you, man. Yeah, man. Yeah. See ya, Jay, you Miss you, man. I, I am. Hey, Jay. See who we have up next, Jay? Right now, I'd like to welcome Cole from the great state of New Jersey onto the air. Cole, welcome to '80s Wrestling Radio. Hey guys, it's good to be back. Uh, I just had a question. Um, uh, when you were, you know, filming the documentary with Bruiser Brody's uh, family, you know, mm-hmm. I know that uh, Onita, uh, you know, recreated his his murder for a storyline. Mm-hmm. You know, did they bring that up <clears throat> at all? Like, were they a little bit apprehensive when it came to, like, doing, like, recreations for the documentary or anything because of that? Um, I, I don't recall, Jason, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't recall Barbara or Jeff really talking about the Onita angle. Um, no, they, they never did with us. Um, and we, we had talked about it a lot, but it was just, you know, it'd be awesome to like, you know, I've done like a two or three hour, you know, Bruiser Brody, like talk 
um, which we would have loved to like fit, like because that's like a really interesting angle, and it's so crazy they like took it that far. Yeah, it's like uh, the truth and fiction rolling over on itself like another time. And for the people yeah. who are listening who don't know what this is, <clears throat> is that um, Onita, a, a wrestler promoter in Japan, had actually booked uh, Jose Gonzalez, uh, the, the person who was responsible or who, you know, allegedly or who did kill Brody. But uh, he uh, uh, actually tried to take that, like take what this tragedy that happened and turn it into a storyline between Onita and Gonzalez and, and even filmed himself like you know being cut in the stomach and it it, it, it it's just like the poorest of taste but at the same time you know several 30 years later or whatever it's just completely fascinating to to re-examine yeah definitely i know i always felt like uh the bruiser brody murder was like the lost tragedy for like a generations of fans like they don't really realize, like, you know, what Brody could have become, you know, if he would have lived and stuff like that. And they don't realize, like, you know, like how close he was with, like, Tony Atlas and how different Mm -hmm. he was in real life than, you know, how he portrayed himself in the ring and stuff like that. I heard he was, like, a a family man and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you know, for us, like, that was one of the main reasons why we wanted to make the the piece was just kind of, it seemed like it was this kind of forgotten chapter in, in wrestling history in a lot of ways for people of my generation. And mm-hmm. uh, one of the main reasons we just wanted to, you know, kind of re-examine it, you know, for, for a new audience. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Yeah. And I think, yeah, definitely, like, you know, we're in this period where I think, like, wrestling fans, especially people, like, from our generation, you know, want to know more about the history of the of the sport and you know you like bruiser brody is such a huge like part of that like even if like the newer generation doesn't necessarily know the history of him his influence on the sport is just like unprecedented you know he really was like one of the true like masters of the psychology like behind wrestling and like you know you hear so many stories from the old timers you know telling like how much they learn from Brody and how much like he like influenced the sport. And, you know, and like, like, Oh, sorry. I was just going to say like wrestlers today take their freedom for granted, you know, (laughs) like they they get to go to like Cracker Barrel and just be who they are in real life where like people like Brody had to like go to Cracker Barrel and like be a wild, crazy guy from Texas, you know? So hey guys, today I, love should... cracker, I love Cracker Brow, by the way. Just saying. <laughs> oh yeah. Their hush puppies are good. That's the go-to, right? That's the good, <laughs> that's the, the rest, wrestler go-to uh, restaurant. Um, anyway, I don't know what I was saying there, but. It's like wrestlers... Rivera and Cracker Barrel. Yeah. But I'm just saying wrestlers today should, you know, not take it for granted. They get to, you know, be whoever they are in real life, you know, so easily, you know? <laughs> yeah. What I liked about uh, Brody, just uh, one more thing, is, like, you know, he actually made, like, people in the audience, like, I watched a lot of his, um, you know, Japan work, and, you know, I like that he, like, actually used to scare the fans and stuff. Like, back in those days when you wanted to be a heel, you wanted to make everybody, like, hate you, not be afraid of you, because, you know, you would sell more money. If exactly. You, like, had everybody hate hate you, but, like, you know, what he did was truly revolutionary, doing things like, you know, scaring people like how the Sheik was. Original yeah, yeah. Bro- Brody had this like 
Brody had this, like, really good philosophy that was, like, he literally wanted to, like, go into the audience and try to touch everyone. Like, because he knew that, like, if he, like, got in there and, like, touched people or had, like, an interaction with people that when, like, he goes, when he keeps traveling, people are, those people are going to continue to watch his shows. They're going to watch his matches and, like, follow his career. And, like, oh, he was just, like, so smart in that sense. Yeah. And he would be a walking insurance disaster today if, if it were today, for sure. <laughs> he couldn't yeah. do it. Uh, oh, couldn't definitely. Do it. No yeah. doubt about that. Hey, Clark, what was your favorite episode, by the way, just to let Jason and uh, Evan know? Uh, it's cold, by the way. Um, uh, you know what? I'm going to have to say, like, uh, I liked the Bruiser Brody one, and I liked um, the Von Erichs. Oh, you know, I, was really, I was really, right on. I was really excited for those two. Thank you. Well, Clark, thank you very much for calling in, man. We uh, we appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, man. thank you. All right, you guys have a good night. You too, man. Take it easy. All right, who do we say, got? Who do we got? Say, Jason and Evan, uh, as you guys yeah. decide what stories that you want to highlight on your docu-series and you go about calling the families, there must be different reactions from different sets of families. I'm wondering how Gino Hernandez's family reacted to the news that you wanted to do a story on him since his story had been quiet for a number of years. And he was, he's been out of the limelight for a while that to most current wrestling fans, he might not be a name they're familiar with. How did his family react to that phone call? Um, Jason, you want me to take this one? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We okay. made the initial call, I believe. Yeah, yeah. It was um it was definitely a process. Uh because, you know, when we were making the when we were making those inquiries, we really didn't know uh how obviously they, they felt about, you know, their you know, Gino's passing or anything. The only thing we really knew going into it was, you know, we were listeners of Bruce Pritchard's uh, Something to Wrestle podcast, and Bruce had done an episode on his time in Houston during, you know, when, you know, Gino had spent time there and came up through Houston, and everything Bruce was talking about was just this crazy rumors, and he just sounded like this enigma of a person, and, like, there's so many crazy mysteries and rumors surrounding his life and his death, and it just, it seemed so wild so he was a a top candidate from the very beginning to do an episode about but all we were really operating on at at the time we were reaching out to his family was just really those rumors we didn't really know what the truth was at all so we didn't know how his family would react but it really took a long time for them to call us back uh hit us back and 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 they were very skeptical uh, of who we were and then of course you know, Jason, I'll I'll uh, give you the hot tag here. You can you can talk about you know uh, just like when we first got Gino's mom uh, on the line. Yeah. So we we you know found out that Gino's mom is still with us, and um, uh, one of our like our associate producer uh, ended up getting her phone number, and we called her, and uh, she was incredible. Like she you know she she grew up a huge wrestling fan herself. And um, when we started talking about Gino and his, like, and and his untimely passing, um, she, you know, was very strong on the phone and said, you know, I'm 77 years old 
and uh, I've lived in fear for like the past 30 something years. And I've looked like every time I've stepped outside, I've looked over my shoulder. Whenever my kids would be like five minutes late from coming home, I would be just driving around the neighborhood looking for them. And she had been living in fear because she told us, she was like, I had, I had stared my son's killer like straight in the eyes and she knew who killed him. And we were just so shocked like to hear that. We like, we couldn't believe it. And we were just like, hang on, like we're coming. Like we, you know, we'd love to talk to you and allow and, and give you, you know, the opportunity to finally tell your story. And, you know, through this journey with us, hopefully, you know, we can come up with some answers for her and, um, you know, um, hopefully, yeah, just like answer some like questions she's had, you know, most well, of her life. Yeah. And it was also, um, you know, again, going back to the process, it, it was actually, you know, hearing her story and being like, oh, my God, like this is an incredible breakthrough. Uh, and, and what we thought could have easily have been a fool's errand if you're just doing a, a story about rumors. But then, you know, it was kind of Gino's family was like into doing the story and then sort of, you know, got cold feet and backed away. And so I actually uh, wound up just flying out to meet them without any cameras and just kind of, again, you know, building trust and, and just hearing their side of the story. And I, and I was on that trip when I sort of got the full story from them. And, and that was just such an eye opener of like, wow, this is. This is really going to be something special. Uh, yeah, episode. and did did Patrice at that time too? I can't remember. Did she show you the suitcase that she had? Because like Patrice, yes. Gino's mother, she had like ever since Gino had died, she like became her own detective, and she did a lot of her own investigative work and collected a lot of material over the years. And um, when we went to go film her, she showed us that, and she a lot of it through the, the documentary. But. Yeah. Yeah. It was that, that was a trip of just seeing like <clears throat> this suitcase, you know, 30 plus years old and just inside of it, like receipts and phone records and, you know, autopsy papers. And it, it was just like, I, as a documentarian, I mean, that's a gold mine, you know, there's nothing yeah. short of that. So that's, that's so interesting. Hey, I, I want to, I want to ask you guys too, obviously you got to, you know, dig deep into Gino and, 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 learn all about his career and I'm sure you saw a ton of footage of him as well. How great you think he would have been in WWF at the time? He was only twenty eight years old. He definitely, definitely hundred percent I think would have had a run in WWF. And I think he would have he would have been uh, a top guy there too. What, what's your take on if Gino Hernandez oh, ever made it to WWF? Yeah. Yeah, I mean a, yeah. I mean absolutely. I mean the fact that like Bruce Pritchard uh, you know, uh, was going to go on to be a bigger influence in the WWF and actually had been someone who had kind of came up through the business along, you know, with Gino in Houston, you just would have thought that like Bruce would have, you know, pushed Gino on Vince or called, you know, called Gino and said, Hey, we got to, I mean, who, I mean, people have always said like when they were kind of casting the role of the million dollar man, you know, which was Vince's idea, you know, of course, you know, Ted DiBiase was a candidate, but you had to have think that someone would have brought up Gino's name or something. And, you know, Gino would have been a hell of a million dollar man, you know, for yeah, sure. He just he, had that like X factor, you know, he just, he had that charisma. You just, you point the camera at him and there's just something that like works, you know, just, he just lights up and he just brings so much, 
charisma to the camera. Yeah. Um, it's just there's no denying he would have been a huge star. I think. I think you can was. see it. Yeah. You, you you can absolutely see it. Like on his walk to the ring, right? Like yeah. Right from just that walk, not even getting into the ring, just the walk. You can tell that like this guy, you know, has a way about him that most don't. You know, yeah. and um, and he could get so much heat. Like we've heard so many great stories about like guys who like you know jumped over the guardrail to like get a Gino. Um, followed him to the hotel room and stuff. Yeah, yeah. People wanted to kill him. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he. Uh, yeah, he's just so incredible. It's it's a dream of ours. You know, we've always we want like we love Gino like so much. Like he's become one of our favorite wrestlers of all time now. Like it's a dream of ours to, to see him get, you know, recognized more by an audience of today. And like, hopefully, you know, one day we can, we can help the process of getting an action figure of Gino, <laughs> yeah. or just, you know, yeah. some, some stuff, you know, just like to, to remember him by. Sure. Sure. Hey, I also want to, uh, I just want to go back uh, briefly Earlier, we were talking about the, the killing of Bruiser Brody and talking about how hush it was uh, about the happening. If it wasn't today's age, it would have been a huge, huge story everywhere, and it, and it would have been. I mean, even if it was like an independent wrestling show with, you know, 100 people there, uh, it still would have been a gigantic news story if a wrestler killed another wrestler backstage. It would have been on every single news outlet, newspaper, you know, internet site. Uh what made, uh, what do you think it was that it got no play really as far as news goes uh, back then? I think because it two things. One, like I think, you know, wrestling just wasn't something that was really covered in newspapers. You know, even the fact that we're talking about, you know, somebody, uh, you know, getting killed, you know, uh, I don't think it was something that really made mainstream news. And aside from that, the fact that it happened in Puerto Rico, I mean, it was covered pretty heavily in Puerto Rico. Um, you know, we did look at a lot of the newspapers that, that, that had come out around that time, had dozens of them translated all through them, the court case and everything. And so it definitely was covered there. I just think, you know, back in mainland U.S., like, it just really wasn't because it had happened in Puerto Rico and because it was wrestling. It just wasn't something that was really picked up by, I mean, I think there was like one LA Times story. I think you can Google and you can find it, but I think that's outside of that is like really the only thing that was covered. And I haven't been able to find hardly anything other than that. Yeah. And be, yeah, I think that's probably the only, and the it, only reason. Yeah. And it wasn't something that like the wrestlers could really like speak out about as well too at that time. So right. It was like It wasn't like when wrestlers, were doing interviews about other subjects that they were bringing up the story of Brody being killed. Totally. Because like, if they did speak up, it, it kind of labeled them as like, you know, picking a side, you know, to the story. And also it was kind of like, well, we don't want this person in our territory now because you know, they're, they're going to speak up about the business, you know, or, or, or people didn't want to jeopardize their position that they had in Puerto Rico. So just all different kinds of factors of like kayfabe and like, you know, just the terror, like the last vestiges of the territory era and that kind of thing too. Jason and Evan, we have a caller from Connecticut 
First name, Gene. Gene, you're on the air with Jason and Evan. Hey, Jason. Hey, hey, how you guys doing? Good. Hey, Gene. Good, man. I just want to say, uh, you know, this uh, this documentary miniseries has gotten so much buzz, especially from a lot of guys in the wrestling business, a lot of a lot of just wrestling fans. Um, I, I, I got two questions, but this first one is, um, how does it feel to get such a positive feedback, and have you gotten a lot of positive feedback from guys who are actually people who are actually in the wrestling business today? Uh, yeah, I mean the. The response to the show has been, you know, incredibly uh, just overwhelming. It's been awesome. It's been a dream of ours to get this show not only made, but to get it released. And, and of course, you know, wrestling fans, you know, we're also hardcore wrestling fans aside from being the people that made the show. So we know how hard it is to be authentic and to hope that it gets embraced like you want it to. So that's been really amazing. Um, yes, several people um, from within, you know, from within the business have, 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 uh, you know, giving us positive feedback. Zach Ryder comes to mind as someone, you know, who's um, been a huge fan and supporter of the show. Uh, Jason, help me out. Who, who else we got? Yeah, no, we, we had uh, Dwayne Johnson. Oh, uh, yeah, The Rock. The Rock. Uh, how much he liked the show. That was that was pretty cool. Uh, Hogan gave us a 5 out of 10. And said it was really good, <laughs> I think, or something. That was kind of cool. Um uh, David Arquette reached out to me. That was he DM'd me. That was kind of cool. Um, oh, DM. Uh, oh, DM break. Yeah, yeah. Oh shit. I don't know. Um, <laughs> no, definitely uh, Blue Meanie did. Uh, yeah, there's yeah people people from within the business have. have I mean, obviously, oh Taz, yeah, Taz, Taz is down with it. Um, yeah. I know there's others. I think Xbox. I think Xbox didn't do it. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So it's 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 been really cool. Yeah. That's um one one of them. One of the stories. I mean, I loved all the stories, but one of them that really stood out to me was uh, the fabulous Moolah story. And you 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 all, you interviewed a lot of people in that story. You interviewed uh, Michael McCoy, a guy which I met several years ago down in South Carolina. Um, oh we, wow. We, I know I know people who know him, and I just it's funny because I didn't know his mother was a. A wrestler. I just know him from being in the church and being pastor. Wow. And my, oh, wow. my family has fellowship with him been in his church, so I had no idea that he was uh, Sweet Georgia Brown's son. And I was watching the documentary, and I was like, wait a second, I, I've met that guy. <laughs> you know, I know. Wow. That guy. And, and That's it was great. very That's interesting. Cool. Wow. Yeah, yeah. It, it was very interesting that he he had a very positive approach to Fabulous Muda. He said good things about her, and you know, a lot of people said, you know. Not so, not so great things about her character and who she was as an individual, but it, it just seemed like people were split. Either you, either they really liked her or they really hated her. So I mean, I mean, but what do you think? I mean, how do you think uh, Fabulous Moolah really was as a promoter, as a trainer, and as a uh, as a woman outside of the wrestling business? Do you think she was that bad, or was she really that good? Um, good question and tough question. Um, you know, obviously we sort of used the, the, the controversy from last year's WrestleMania as sort of the jumping off point to be able to have a larger conversation about, you know, Moolah and her legacy. I mean, I think it's really complicated. I think, you know, it's, it's, it's obviously she's not here, you know, to, to kind of speak, you know, for herself, but I think, you know, she is from, and, you know, there are a lot of, you know, really heavy allegations, you know, out there about her. 
Um, and, you know, when there are victims, you know, it's, it's important to listen to them. But at the same time, I think it's like, you know, she is from a much more cutthroat era of the business, you know, when, you know, promoters from, you know, back from the 20s, 30s and 40s and 50s, you know, definitely had similar, you know, business practices as far as speaking about that. Um, but, you know, at, at the same time, it's just uh, it, it's, it's a really sort of complicated thing. And, and most people we talk to, it's like one day someone would say something, have a story that was really egregious. And then and then the next day it would be someone who had a story that was, you know, the completely the opposite. And so for me, I think it's, it's, it's still kind of a head scratcher in, 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 in terms of like getting an accurate full body, you know, sort of uh, picture of what she really was like. I think probably as Jim Cornette says, you know, uh, I don't I don't think it's really binary one way or the other, you know, black or white in terms of that. I think it's kind of somewhere in the middle, you know, like, you know, in, in terms of in terms of, you know, what she is and who she was. And I think she was surrounded by a lot of other people who did a lot of bad things. I think, you know, Buddy Lee and Billy Wolf and those types of people were doing some bad or involved with some very well, bad well, stuff. Well, Cause there's, well, we, well, we, you know, well, we can agree, but Buddy Lee wasn't a good guy. I think we can agree. We all can agree on that. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's well-documented, I think. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, they, they also, uh, also, and, uh, another story that was, that was that, that to me was, I think I watched maybe three or four times, was a Von Eric wow. story. I mean, oh wow, yeah. I mean, this story you couldn't write something in a soap opera or a movie script. I mean, and this was actually real life. This actually happened to these uh, to these people, and there's only one right. brother standing. Has there has there, have there ever been talks for a Von Eric movie? Because I mean, the story is just so compelling. It's 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 like edge of your seat, and it's it's and it's based on reality. Yeah, it's some you know we. Obviously, we would love to, you know, bring that story to the screen in, in some traumatic uh, narrative-like way. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a it's a really tough story to tell. It's like you said, you know, if you wrote that as a script, like no one would ever believe it. Like no yeah. one would ever believe that like those like that many brothers in one family would have died so quickly. You know, in quick succession from one another and and so many of them going. Um, but uh, yeah, we, you know, that world, that world of, uh, the of world-class championship wrestling and what Fritz and his sons did for the business is like, I think one of the most exciting periods of wrestling. And I think it lends itself so well to doing like a movie or like a TV series just about, you know, that family um, coming up and making, you know that that promotion, you know, and and getting it on television and bringing rock and roll to to wrestling and you know using the cameras in a different way and and blurring the lines between reality and fiction in such a way that and the vignettes don't forget about the vignettes yeah the vignettes are just they're the coolest <laughs> we became so obsessed with like tracking down like every vignette that we could we could track <laughs> down um, there's like there's this one that like. This one, it's like the holy grail for us, like David Manning, <laughs> who is a referee for World Class, and he was also a booker. Um, he told us a story about the first time that they went to Israel with World Class, and they said, Kevin said this too, is like when they when they got off the airplane at the airport, there was like 30,000 people like at the airport just like waiting for them. Yeah, it was von so Eric famous. They were so famous over there. 
and I, I, I believe that was because when Fritz got his cable deal to air world class, it was like on a Christian network, and that Christian network also aired in Israel. And the Von Eric boys wanted to go visit the the tomb of Jesus Christ, and David Manning said like one of the first times they ever, or one of the only times they allowed TV cameras in the, the tomb. In Jesus' tomb was when the world class cameras followed the Von Eric <laughs> in there. Yeah, amazing, amazing. Oh yeah, and another question, uh, Lance Von Eric. Was there any possible way that that could have worked? They could have got him over, or was that just doomed? I think it, I think it just came at like just the worst time, you know, when it was like, you know, because the Von Erichs were positioned to be kind of these like, you know, superheroes, you know, these like just like you know Jim Cornette kind of pitches it in the episode that these are kind of these indestructible heroes. And then, of course, you know, when tragedy struck continually over and over again, and, you know, there was drugs and accidents and all these other things that were happening, you know, fans started to question, you know, their belief in them as, as these heroes. And I think that, you know, when you, when you have a, a manufactured Von Erich, I think it just was coming at the worst possible time. Yeah. But, if, but if you look in history, it's like, you know, Fritz Von Erich had a kayfabe brother uh, Waldo von Eric, who he wasn't related to in, in real life, but you know, back in those days, you, you could get away with that. Or Eddie Graham and superstar Billy Graham, you know, you, you could get away with that, you know. But I think in this instance, it was just not the right timing. Right, right, right. I mean, Gene, thank you, thank you so, Gene, thank you so much for calling in. We're we're running a little short on time, but your your questions were excellent. And uh, thank you, Gene. Uh, we, we appreciate Thanks, it. Gene. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely be following and supporting. Thank you guys for having me. All right, thanks, Gene. Hey, we might have to go a couple minutes over tonight because the phone lines are lighting up. Uh, we're gonna take That's one all good. more call, That's and fine. then uh, we'll take one more call and we'll break it down. Chris, uh, welcome to the '80s Wrestling Radio. All right, Tommy, what's up, brother? This is your rap boy. Hey, rap boy, how are you tonight? I'm doing okay. I, I just want to congratulate you for that one that one first show that you had, you know, in, in uh, Freehold. Sorry, I couldn't make it. Maybe the next one I, I, I should make it. Good, good. You're on. You're on with uh, Jason and Evan, the co-creators of Dark Side of yeah, the Ring. Yeah, I, I got a good for question them? for them. All right. All right. A right, good question is: Are you guys going to do a documentary on uh, Chris Benoit's suicide? Uh, I mean, it's definitely, you know, the biggest story in wrestling in a lot of ways. It's, it's like the it's like the the most tragic, perhaps arguably one of the most tragic things that's happened in wrestling. And you know, um, I think given the opportunity to tell that story, you know, it was something we would definitely want to tell. If given, I mean, first we have to see if we 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 get the opportunity to make more episodes. <laughs> that's the first hurdle. And then, uh, and then, and then from there, it's, it's it's definitely something on the list we would like to. I think the story is, you know, um, ripe for rediscovery in in in, in a lot of ways. Great question. When I first when I first heard, I I, th- I think we dropped Chris. I think the call. He's oh, off the board. Sorry, Chris. Uh, no, it, it happened. Say, gentlemen, I have a question for you. Uh, the last caller, Gene. 
he he asked a question about if you received any feedback from people, and you named a number of, of superstars, including Zack Ryder. Uh, you actually named Zack Ryder ahead of Dwayne The Rock Johnson, which uh, I got a kick out of. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> here's here's my question: well, Have I you mean... guys? And you don't have to name any names, but have you guys received any feedback from any of the higher ups that currently work at, in the WWE management? No. None to me. None to me. Sorry, it's a boring answer, but no, not to me. Well, I, I guarantee that I guarantee that they were definitely watching it because I mean the hype uh, for this series is, has just been through the roof, especially in this day and age with social media. It's, it's all over the place, and I mean you guys have done an unbelievable job. Uh, we we could probably stay on the the line for another hour uh, talking about it, and uh, <laughs> perhaps we can have you guys on again in the future to do so. Oh, yeah. My last question I have for you, then then I have an actual invitation for you. Um, the my last question is, if I was to put you guys on the spot right now, and I said, hey, um, we want to do one more episode for season one, uh, w- without even really thinking about it, and it could be the Chris Benoit answer that you just talked about, what would be that one episode uh, off the top of your head? There could be different answers for both of you guys. What would you like to see if you do one more episode? Which one would you want to do it on? Well, well there's kind of a, um, well, I was just going to say before you answer, Jason, there's kind of a trick yeah. answer to both of these. So we actually were supposed to make more episodes for season one. Um, but you know, our, our kind of production schedule and budgeting and things like that had kind of changed over the course of, you know, while we were making them and we had to make some difficult choices to scale back. And so there are a couple episodes that are kind of, um, you know, half done more or less. So there are two. So it's kind of like, you know, that would probably be like, those two would probably be the ones that we, (laughs) I'm guessing we would answer, but Jason, go ahead. (laughs) Well, I was, yeah, I was going to say that, but, we, you know. We, and please don't give anything away of, either. Was, well, yeah. Like, we, we went down the road of filming. We filmed probably 75% of a, an episode about uh, the the murder of Dino Bravo. Um, and so we, we oh, spent wow. a lot of time in uh, Montreal, uh, Quebec, uh, researching that story and interviewing some of his close friends and it's uh, one of his family members, and uh, that's a story. Like for me, I'm a Canadian, and like I always grew up knowing about Dino Bravo, and he was like the Hulk Hogan of like Montreal. Um, but I think for a lot of fans, they don't really, I don't know, they didn't really do much with him in WWE. Um, so I'm hoping, kind of like our Gino Hernandez episode, is that when people see our Dino Bravo episode, that they're going to get to know a lot more about the guy and um i think also too like how i I, like i think there was more potential there than what wwe uh did with him Uh, but his story is like really tragic and uh we spent um a good amount of time with his daughter um who's uh who has such an incredible story about her dad. It's her first interview, uh, yeah. Yeah, on the yeah, story. Wow. Wow. Well that's, yeah. yeah, that's fascinating. And it's fascinating. really strong. It's really powerful and emotional. Um, and, yeah, so that was, like, yeah, it was it was one that was really emotional for us, too, because, like, each one of these stories, you know, we're putting our hearts and souls into them as well, too, and so it was really hard to kind of leave that one behind uh, while we finished off our other episodes. And our hope has been that, like, 
if the season is successful enough and people out there like it enough that, you know, we get a season two and we get the opportunity to finish that episode. Um, Cause that's one of the ones too. I see a lot of people out there, you know, asking us if, we're going to do a season two, you know, they want to see it. The it's Dino the most story. It's actually one of the, yeah, one of the very top most requested uh, episodes. So people are in luck because it's almost done. <laughs> hey, yeah. listen guys, you, you better, you better do a season two because I'm like over here watering from the mouth a lot more. I know, I know Jay's <laughs> too, man. You guys got to do another yeah. season. Hey, before I let you guys go, I, I want, like I said, I had an invitation as well. Um, I'm not sure if you guys are familiar. Uh, last month we did a, big 80s wrestling con uh, convention in New Jersey. We had over 25 wrestlers from the 80s uh, taking part of a huge event in New Jersey, and it was, it was really successful. And uh-huh. uh, we're doing another one on August, I'm sorry, August, October the 26th, Saturday, October 26th, New Jersey. We already have the Million Dollar Man, Teddy Biasi with Virgil, Ooh, yeah. Sergeant Slaughter. We have Bob Backlund, Demolition. Brutus the Barber Beefcake. So it's going, to be, it's going to be a really big event, 80s Wrestling Con 2. I thought of a cool idea while we're actually on the air, and I think I'd put you guys on the spot and ask you. Uh, I'm thinking it would be really cool to have a dark side of the ring live question and answer session panel with you guys uh, October 26th at 80s Wrestling Con 2. Yeah, that'd, that'd be, be awesome. Amazing. Yeah, we could show some stuff, maybe some little behind-the-scenes stuff or, like, some yeah. of the cutting-room floor material or something, you know, we could we could do that. I'd be down. Yeah, that yeah, would be awesome. As long as Brutus is there, I'll, I'll be there. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, that's very exciting, man. I'm, I'm sure all the uh, listeners would be really excited for that. I said, ah, I should put, you on this, put people on the spot more often on the air, and they'll just yes, and they said, they'll make yeah. me feel bad, you know? <laughs> If it's good enough for Brutus, it's good enough for me. <laughs> wow, that, that's I'm huge. That's huge, dude. We have an 80s Wrestling Con 2, October 26th. We have a live Dark Side of the Ring Q&A panel with Jason and Evan. Big, big, big news. I'd love to have you guys on again in the future. Jay, anything uh, you got for Jason and Evan before we call it a night? Well, I just want to thank you guys once again for coming on, uh, for telling us some of the process behind these amazing documentaries that you guys make. And I just want to tell you, from a wrestling fan standpoint, these shows are absolutely amazing. Thank you guys for your passion, thank not you. only for the business of pro wrestling, but your passion for filmmaking, because it shows pro wrestling in just this amazing light. So thank you, gentlemen, for what you do. Oh, that's a, thank you, man. That's compliment. That's- thank you so much. Yeah, definitely. Thank you. All right, guys. Well, we uh, look forward to talking with you again soon. And uh, anything else you want to say to all the wrestling fans that are listening? Just that, um, you know, everyone, uh, if you're not already, you should follow us on social media. Uh, keep up with us because we are going to start releasing some deleted scenes and some behind-the-scenes stuff in the coming weeks. Um, and there's some, and we're actually editing some of them right now, and and some of them are pretty nice, hilarious, hilarious and fun. And so you should um, <laughs> uh, follow us at Dark Side of Ring on Twitter and at Dark Side of the Ring on Instagram. And uh, yeah, you can find our personal uh, social media channels on there as well if you go there. And yeah, we'll be posting stuff, sharing cool, rare photos from family members that we've acquired on the road and other cool stuff. Yeah. 
So do it. Awesome, guys. Thank you so much for joining us. And until next week, everyone have a great week. And uh, we'll see you next week right here on 80s Wrestling Radio. Um.